Welcome to Relatable. This is your host, Teresa Freeman. I am so excited for you all to hear this next conversation. I talk with my friend, Josh School, a military veteran, a distinguished career with the FBI, and currently a senior VP with Allied Universal. Such a rich interview full of advice, insight, and interesting stories. We talk about failure, leadership, confidence, and making tough choices. I should mention that Josh and I talked prior to the recent events at the Capitol, therefore we did not discuss. However, given his background and expertise, you may have had the opportunity to hear Josh's commentary. He's been interviewed both locally and nationally. Do yourself a favor and listen to this interview. You will get so much from it. I know I did. Enjoy this episode. So before we even start, even though we're starting, yes. I'm going to totally embarrass you first by complimenting you, because as you know, we interviewed Justin, oh, and he had yes. such wonderful things to say about you and Christy. So I feel like we have a lot of parents that listen, so you're going to give us like your top 10 t- tips for being such awesome parents. Like, what do you got for us? Because he could say <laughs> any, anything but kind remarks about his awesome parents well that's first of all he's a he's a very nice young man right um and the oldest and a people pleaser probably the he, traditional he, oldest he, he is definitely a traditional oldest i'm not going to give top 10 tips <laughs> for parents because every every child and every situation is different yeah. right and so you have to do what works for you what works frankly for that individual child yeah or, or right because not everybody at least from my experience, not every kid is motivated by the same things. Right. So there's no way I'm going to go down the top <laughs> 10 list. I'm probably better off going down a top 10 list of failures, <laughs> parenting failures. So. Oh, you guys have a lot of great stories. <laughs> we do have a lot of great stories. It's very funny. Uh, uh, yes, for yeah. sure. So I guess your number one tip would just be customized because not everything always works to the best you can yeah right I mean it takes you know I don't I don't know how other parents do it but sometimes it takes years to figure out what motivates your child and yeah there's a maturity factor to it and there's a yeah I don't know I feel like with you though there's certainly this level of fear there's a fear component <laughs> that they're not gonna there's a threshold that they know that they can't cross well, well, your boys anyway. I don't know your daughter. She she actually scares everyone else. I think. So well, if there's a threshold, I would like my youngest to find it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he's he's pushing those boundaries a little bit. Yeah. 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 So very good. Uh, well, maybe we could start with your current role. I mean, I have a lot I want to talk to you about in terms of your career and how you've navigated that, and you've had a really interesting path to where you are. Just talk a little bit about your current role, what you do, and maybe a day in the life, even if they're, I know they're not probably not all similar, but. Sure. Um, so I'm currently the Senior Vice President uh, for Risk Advisory and Consulting Services at Allied Universal Security. Allied Universal Security is the largest physical security provider in North America. It's a huge company, and I uh, have the consulting services within within Allied. Uh, that includes a pretty broad pro- portfolio, security consulting, investigations, threat disaster and emergency response, and executive protection. So we have a big uh, swath. It's, it's, a, it's frankly, some of it's global. So the, as far as a typical day goes, it's, I don't know that I've had a typical day. Um, it's everything from client engagement, to operations, human resources, budget. Uh, It's a wide swath of anything that can occupy your day. Intelligence is a big focus right now. Obviously, COVID and and some of our services related to COVID, whether it was consulting services on how a multi-tenant building can set up procedures to bring people in, Mm -hmm. to deploying police officers during both the pandemic and social unrest, 
to executive protection for CEOs and other C-suite executives at their residence, transitioning from travel to organized retail crime, which is really hitting retailers really hard right now in our investigative practice, and, and, and then having the clients try and figure out how they're going to resource, knowing they need some of this, and talking them through, and then, you know, they're dealing with a vendor and how that you know, right. can have, uh, tension's not the right word, but trying to figure it out. So there's a, it's an exciting day every day, every single day. And each of those groups that you mentioned has, I suspect, a leader that then... It's a practice lead is what so, we call it. Yeah. And then we have uh, market leads in five different cities that uh, are there to represent risk advisory and consulting services, and then bring in our practice leads to execute on service. So my next question, just in terms of transition, so you were in the FBI for 21 years, is that just right? Just over, yep. How is the, I mean, it's still somewhat fresh, but how's the transition from being in the FBI for so long and then, I mean, everything you just talked about, I, I, I suspect um, there's some sort of exposure experience in dealing with it within your last job, right? To some extent, like you touched it some way, yes. so that maybe the content is not entirely new. So I'm curious, just transition, you, you and I friendly talked about that transition a lot in terms of what might be different going from FBI to something like this, which is really a different animal, I would think, altogether. So how how has that been? Is it, and in, in like, what, what has surprised you about that? So, there's been multiple surprises. Uh, not surprises are, 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 are the, is not the right characterization. First of all, there's a in every single job, there's how you think it's going to be, and then how there, it is. Right. Period. Right. And whether it's internal to the FBI or during you know uh, before I got hired at Allied, kind of what you thought you'd be doing, and then what what the expectations are. So that that's a challenge. There's a different financial risk responsibility because I'm driving towards a profits of you know PL versus to a budget number. Different. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right? Very different. And, and and how you manage that and how you resource that. Operating rules are a little bit different as well, uh, in, in that regard. And then the similarities, right? It's a it's a big company that requires approvals to get things done, not unlike the FBI. The Difference was by the time I hit a senior level in the FBI, I'd spent so much time, so you knew how to navigate and what to do, and now you're at the level in the company, and you're now trying to figure all of that out and learn the operations and the, and the budget and all and the, all of the, their process procedures in a, in a very, very large, profitable, very successful company. Right. So it's almost like going from being a senior to a freshman. <laughs> That's not, I, no, I, well, I'm not going to say it like that. Because you you do have some experiences that you can rely on, right? right? That you've gone through some of these things. You understand the scrutiny on, on some of the things. And there's just other things you have to learn. And then right. it's a time compression, right? And, and, of course, COVID threw everybody off kilter. Right. So what would have been a normal progression timeline got, got thrown way out of whack. Yeah. Consequently... Our company has been very resilient during COVID, and so it's been uh, very interesting to watch yeah. on how we pivoted and how we found new ways to employ services that are needed for the client to have discussions about what those needs are. Um, it's been exciting. Well, that's great to hear. I, I am curious, having been with the FBI for so long, and I'm curious, was that something that you always wanted to do? So was that a goal to pursue that career? And then just for people, for you, I feel like you're you're sort of in the second act, and I want to talk to you more about that um, in terms of your experience and if people are interested in following that path. But in terms of if someone's listening to this and they really want to work for the FBI or that that's a goal, I'm curious for you, what was your path there, and, and is it something that was intentional? And and obviously, it's gonna it's hard to put 21 years into. <laughs> A, a concise answer, but just maybe talk a little bit about what your experience was like there. Sure. So both institutions are, are outstanding in their own right for what yeah. they're trying to achieve. The FBI was a phenomenal career. I couldn't have asked for any more. Very, very exciting. 
opportunities, got to do things I never thought I would want to do. But it's definitely life of service, right? I mean, it's it, it, and you know, there's um, sacrifices that go along with that. But you get to do things that other people only get to read about. Yeah. Right. And there's something that when you look back and you look at your life and and you're like, wow, I was really proud of that. And so recently, I got a call from a reporter who wanted to interview me, me about a case that happened 20 years ago. And it was on, uh, so I've, that's happened to me twice. And it's, this was on a, on a serial murder case in Chicago that, you know, actually was over just about 20 years ago. And I was a partner with somebody who I you know, still longtime friends with. It was, it, that's not something that everybody, <laughs> A, a wants to experience, right. right, and they're good with that, or and and, but also folks that want to understand that there's multiple opportunities. That's just an example, right? Um, you've got to have the self satisfaction of taking bad people off away from society, right? Actually trying to make things better, and there's a camaraderie associated with being in the FBI that is. Is, is special, yeah. right? And so it was an ex, you know, incredibly exciting career, met phenomenal patriots, some that are still there. Um, and unfortunately, what you see, not everything is publicized, so there's a lot of innuendo and supposition that goes into what's going on, some of which may be accurate, much of which is not. Right. And that unfortunately shows itself in a very public way, right? And right. so, I think a lot of people too just see movies, right? Sure, they <laughs> and do. How, and, and how and, it's and then how portrayed you, in movies, uh, uh, and how you can solve a case in you know an hour, right? Right, right. right? And and while no, 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 um, and while science and technology has really improved how. Law enforcement business overall is done. It's still not an hour, generally speaking, right? Every, right. I mean, sometimes right. you, you you catch a bad guy at a scene, or you know, uh, but those are in reactionary crimes, not long-term investigations. Right. And I think the other thing that I think society maybe understands but doesn't think about is how intertwined the FBI is with state and local law enforcement, and how that that symbiotic relationship is critical to, frankly, the safety of our nation, mm -hmm. right, and uh, in, in how that works and how it, it really has grown. And, and I'm very proud with my association and my entire career with state and local law enforcement. What a tremendous group of men and women that is and how grateful as a society we should be for the almost million police officers we have in this country. Yes, there are some, right? It's a million. Right. You have a million a million of anything, right? Correct. You're going yeah. to have, but it is not representative of law enforcement. And they always do depict them as adversarial, right? The and so that's just shtick. That's not really true. Well, inherently, uh, media and newspapers they have to sell controversy, right? Right. Right. And so, if, yeah. if everything is going smoothly, that's not a story, right? But. So you have a military background, right? You yep. were at the Naval Six. Academy, and then you were a Marine after that. Correct. Six years. Is that typically a path that someone follows? Maybe not, I mean, being in the Naval Academy is is unique, obviously. But but in terms of that military background, a lot of people that go in the FBI have that kind of background. When you were in the military, did you know ultimately that was a goal, or is it something that throughout that time what you were exposed to, or you know, I'm just curious about the interest to pursue it. Sure. Um, so uh, there were some things that I wanted to do in the military. Uh, I would think that many of my friends, colleagues, teammates from college thought I would have been in the Marine Corps for life. And, I, and of course, you I go into everything thinking that this is going to be, this is what you're doing, right? right. You're, you gotta be all in yeah. to be successful. And um, frankly, and I guess it's a, a little bit of, you know, inside family baseball, there was, you know, I had very early on deployed uh, to, uh, in my military career to Africa, and then I had not gone on what uh, certainly wasn't the schedule that the warriors of today face. I don't want to compare that. I mean, the last 20 years, you know, 19 years has you know, been taxing on right. the military, and we, we should be grateful for their sacrifices, many of them many years overseas. 
I had not achieved everything I wanted to, but but I wasn't sure I wanted to stay in or not. And so my wife and I actually sat down and did a pros cons list. We had, you know, taken we were we were going to make a military move, which incurred more time in the in the Marine Corps. And so we did that, and we came up with that I had done everything I wanted to do. So we took the transfer, went down. I deployed overseas, and when I was deployed overseas, my first son was born. And so um, it was. Uh, and then it was at that time that I said, hey, I may, I may want to do something different. And then trying to figure out what, what that was, FBI was certainly certainly what I'd hoped to do. Right, at the top of the list. Right. And so was it hard to make that, given that you were all in and you had made that commitment, was it hard to make the decision to leave the Marines? Or did it, you felt like you had fulfilled, not the obligation, but for you personally, like that experiences. I was a younger person, right? So yeah. the anxiety of making career changes is not what it is when you get to be a little bit older, right? right? Uh, so right. probably my anxiety was more, I left the Marine Corps, was working a, a job in the private sector, waiting on my time to come up because at the time when the FBI processed it, you couldn't be on active duty military. That's uh, since changed. I see. And so you left on, a, on the hope that you could get through the background, that you'd be selected and everything else. And at the time, at the time, there was a large amount of military and former law enforcement being hired. Uh-huh. So and so now, I, I think there still is a good number of law former law enforcement and military, but also looking for other skill sets as our society has evolved. Right, cyber, which doesn't mean it can't be from the military or law enforcement, but and then you know accountants and lawyers have always been on there, but then also linguistic skills, big mm-hmm. plus, right? right? So, and you can't go into the FBI right out of school, right? No. Well, you can. Oh, you can? No, no you can. Um, it depends on the job role you want to take. So as a, an agent, no. As uh, there are other job roles that are long careers in the FBI that are hugely successful. Uh, so there's about 35,000 or so employees in the FBI. 13,000 are agents. Mm. Right? So, so there's a lot, yeah. Yeah, linguists and analysts and program specialists, uh, all, all fill in uh, administrative support. You, right. you know, I want to say there's, I'm probably going to be wrong, maybe four, four or five hundred, four hundred, I think at the last count, job specialties within the FBI. Wow. So, so yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot. Of and so yeah, you can. So in terms of your, first I should say thank you for all your service. Oh, thank you. And in terms of that path, what inspired you to dedicate your life to service? So do you have family members? Is it part of your, like your heritage? Like what is it that, do you have siblings? Do they also follow the same path? Nope, nobody followed my path. Uh, it doesn't look like anybody after me is gonna follow my <laughs> path either. So, yeah, which, is, which is fine, right? 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 Yeah. I mean, uh, everybody cuts their own path. <laughs> I don't know if it was one thing. I, I guess maybe it was. And it's probably mission, right? Which is, you know, you have to want to get up and go to work every single day. And, and not that every day was great, because um, no matter what job you have, right? And yeah. uh, is every day great, no matter how much you love it. And so that it, it was the mission, both the Marine Corps mission, the FBI mission, uh, risk advisory and consultant mission. All of that is, right. it's got to be, you gotta be driven towards that, or and it's gotta resonate with you for in my belief if you're gonna ultimately be successful. Because there's some days where <laughs> they're not it's not going well. Right. It's going really, really bad. And there's days when you're in charge and you're responsible and it's going really, really bad. You know, how are you going to recover from that? If you don't ultimately enjoy where you are, what you're doing and, and how it's going and have a vision for what's gonna happen, it's gonna make those days quite possibly insurmountable over a long time. Right. That's something I also wanted to ask you about, tangentially, is just your confidence. And I'm curious, so were you, you were an athlete in high school? In college. And you, right, yeah, right. So I was getting there. So. Yeah, not much so, of an athlete in college, probably a better <laughs> athlete in high school. That's... Uh, I'm curious, though, in terms of that mission focus and just these, the jobs that you have, the one that you have now, certainly your time in the FBI, I, I suspect you have to have a certain level of confidence, a certain level of, like, I can do this in order to have that level of responsibility, or maybe that's something that's cultivated over time. 
But I am curious, like, as someone, when you were in high school and you were looking at opportunities, like, what was it about the Naval Academy or what helped you gain confidence and what helped you be able to pursue these things that I think are competitive and difficult? Relatable is sponsored by Teresa Freeman Associates, your one-stop shop for soft skills development, speaking, coaching, and workshops. If you'd like to hire Teresa, or for information on our upcoming workshops, visit www.teresafreemanassociates.com for more information. Wow, I don't know uh, that I would... Would you say you're born that way? Or? No, no. I, I mean, nothing, nothing begets confidence like, a, like success. Right. So, what does that mean when when you when you have failure? Right. How do you rebound? Right. What I constantly have looked at is is the team. Right. I don't. I've not worked in a job where you haven't had to been part of a team. Uh, leading the team, being part of the team, and so having confidence in those around you. I would certainly say the the military background and the leadership aspects of that and learning uh, learning from on both sides. Hey, I want to uh, emulate that, and hey, I never want to emulate that. You know, there's certain questions today that you rephrase being something very, you know, when somebody starts out, were you aware of this? Right? Well, what's, if I wasn't, now what, what you know, what, what, am I falling down on the job? Right. If I was, why didn't I tell, you know, the person that's asking that question, right? So, hey, I want to make you aware of something I know is a difference in that. That's not really your question, it's more confidence related, but... I don't know if, it, and there, to be honest with you, in some days, especially new in a job when you're trying to figure everything out, that there probably is an element of, you know, the old adage of a duck on a pond, mm-hmm. right? Because there's yes. there's no way you can know all the things you need to know and are required to know, both for your subordinates who are asking you questions and expecting answers, yeah. and the seniors who are expecting you to have answers that you don't know and have to constantly fact check or you're, you know, depending on information, you know, coming at you, especially in a crisis situation. I think you, I think it's an interesting point and a good message around the connection between failure and confidence and the resilience, like their success, the failure and the resilience to get through whatever that failure is. And then the more I have found, the more you do that, the confidence builds itself so just success over success sure that's a nice easy way sure. to build it but but to your point around whether it's personal loss or professional like in business you have lost and you're trying to figure stuff out or you don't you know there's unexpected things that happen that are out of your control like your ability to navigate that manage it resource it pull up your bootstraps figure it out or if you have a really bad day get up the next day and say, how am I going to do this differently? Uh, I think those are things that at least personally have helped me to be become more confident or to be able to face situations and say, you know, I can do this. And so maybe in the institutions and the, I would think military and, and the FBI, there's a lot of opportunities to have that kind of exposure and then learn from it, get better, learn from it, and get better. There's a ton of those opportunities. I don't think that you can ultimately re- recognize success if you haven't had failure, right? It's just, yeah. There's, it's just, it's not possible, and and so, you know, just using my two, you know, oldest children as examples, right? My oldest breaks his ankle on national TV as a freshman Halloween night, and determined to get back on the field. So Halloween breaks his ankle, and in March he's playing in a football game, right? I mean, right. that's 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 will, intestinal fortitude, determination, right. right? My second, multiple surgeries on his foot, has to stop playing football, is able to pivot to be a student and get engaged in, the, in, in with other things that, that are uh, rewarding for him without having to rely on that. But he can no longer continue his, his career in that. So th- those are great examples. Two different, yeah. but similar, same sort of injuries. Yeah, I mean, if this was a podcast on failures, we'd have to block out three hours, right, uh, to get through all the things that, you know. And that and, and those are the things that I, frankly, when I mentor folks, is I'm, I try to be very transparent in where I have made mistakes historically. 
things I don't know. You know, try to, uh, it's probably one of the things I've tried to really emulate from other leaders I've learned from going back is what is your thought on this? Mm-hmm. Everybody's got their different style. Sometimes they'll say, well, the boss, uh, don't share your opinion because everybody else will then fall in line. I'm on the fence on that. Generally, I'm going to share my opinion and invite invite a counter opinion. Right. Right, and, and be open to that. And then if you're going to do that, you've got to be willing to change your opinion. Right? You have to be willing to say, you're right, we're going to do it your way. I don't always do that, um, especially if it's my ultimate decision. Right. Uh, but I, I will explain why I'm not, or at least mm-hmm. I try to. I mean, it, it, it depends on, on the situation and how quickly the, time, the decision has to be made. But I think that engenders, when you go to the confidence and being able to do the job, and you know, I think that openness to change and, and have people be heard allows your team to be more confident. And then they, they, their performance is, is, is starts to improve because of that. And then, and then ultimately that's, that's where your confidence comes from right. because the team is operating much better, right, and so, so forth and so on. So you, I don't know that you can give specifics or particulars, but when you've been in a situation, and I would, I would assume, both in your current role or at the FBI, these are big situations that have potentially catastrophic outcomes if they're not going well, uh, financially, reputationally, protection for the country, right? All these different things. These are big, big situations i'm curious when faced with something that's out of your control it's not going well do you have a methodology or do you have certain things that work for you that help you manage through those type of situations is there certain steps that you follow i would say that i don't yeah i don't have a coping mechanism if that's what you're getting at right in that in that aspect uh i do um, think that you have to get as much information as you can and make the decision, the best decision as you, you can. And something that resonates with me that that is a, this is a completely completely apolitical statement. But I was watching a show a couple years ago. I don't remember if it was on Discovery Channel or, or, or the History Channel. It was four hours and it was on. They had gone back and it's on all the chiefs of staff uh, for the presidents, and they walked through history and all the crises that they were. Faced with at the right. time, go. I think it went back as far as the Cuban Missile Crisis, and then all the way up to uh, President Obama. And Rahm Emanuel uh, said, "There's only two decisions that two types of decisions that come into the to the Oval Office: bad and worse, because everything else has been made. So if it was easy, ah. somebody else made it. So I have kind of extrapolated that. If this was an easy, clear-cut decision." People are probably not asking me, and it's actually been—it's huh. been, it's been uh, true, and especially in my last uh, decade, really in the in the FBI, where you, you know, decade, uh, people, you're in a leadership position, right? Right. So if it was a clear-cut decision, you know, someone else, someone else had to make that decision. Yeah, absolutely, and it's true in my current day, right? You know, hey, we've got a dilemma here, and we don't know which way to go, and it's you know, and so. In some of those instances, it's very helpful to to discuss them. And often, frankly, not often, yeah, I, the the person asking the, the question who is unsure of whether or not the decision actually has an opinion on the matter. Often, they do. They're unsure if it's the right track to go on. Right. Right. And so, just spending you know five minutes, a half hour, whatever it is, and talking it through. Uh, is actually helpful. You get all the problems out on the table yeah. and create that environment, put it all out there. You know, what's the you know, least worst option here right. if it's a problem? And okay, well, it sounds like we got it. Let's go. Now, that doesn't mean that there's other bits of information that surface afterwards yeah. that change that outcome or change what decision you would have made had you known that, right? Uh, but at the time... It's interesting. I, I was involved... You're aware, I did a lot of risk-oriented work before I left one of the professional services firms I worked at, and one of the things we did was a simulation 
with all of our heads of PR, communications, technology, security. There was a like Bitcoin thievery simulation that we all went through, and to see how we would handle it and and see how prepared we were for that kind of situation. And what is so fascinating, even the, a lot of us have 25 plus years in industry or business, and the the need to do something immediately versus obtain as much information as you can, build consensus, figure things out, then do. And I think it just, it was really humorous. Like we're all, until someone could hold up a mirror and say, well, well, maybe you could back up two steps and just get more information, particularly about what each other's roles are in that scenario. And because the poor, it's always the tech people, right? Well, the tech, where's the information? Where's the information? It's like, well, here's what's happening for the tech people that are having to figure out what's going on before they can even come to the table. So the idea of getting more information and I think consensus, like the importance of that, depending on whatever scenario you're in where you're having trouble making that decision. I think sometimes you can do those in parallel. And what you're talking about yeah. probably is a ransomware if you're talking about the right yeah, it scenario. It was, yeah. yeah. Right? And so, <laughs> and, and I think uh, just sticking with that theme, right? Yeah. There yeah. is something you can do immediately should you choose to do that while all of the other planning is going on, right? Um, and so there is, depending on the company, the industry, right, right there are triggers that, you know, mandatory reporting. Well, what is that? You know, getting opinions from your legal folks, right? Making sure your legal folks are giving you legal opinion, not their opinion. Sometimes the challenge, right? And right. ciphering that out because they're part of the leadership team, right? right? And, and that doesn't go just for them, but okay, is that your opinion or your, or is that a legally, legally some binding? And, and right. the same for other specialties. So one of the most interesting, and I'll see if I can talk about this, aspects to that that I was a part of is there was an operation when I was going on in the FBI, and it was a very sensitive operation. It involved a lot of planning and a lot of lawyers. And lawyers had a lot of opinions um, about what to do. And the, the person running the meeting at the time was our, was the number two in the FBI. I was there representing somebody else, so I hadn't been a part of the planning, but now I got thrust into it. So I wasn't essentially emotionally invested in the planning that had gone on for a long time. But the tactical components that were going to do the action had been there. Friends of mine had been there. And now a lot of questions being asked about this and their operation. The, the person at the time, it was a life lesson to me actually evaluated the question as to whether or not it was worth being answered, not the person who was asking it, right? right? And so whereas the operators were getting very twisted, specifically with the lawyers, because they're like, you're outside of your lane, that doesn't concern you, the, the person in charge was actually saying, no, actually, I'm, that's a good question. It deserves to be ferreted out. Doesn't matter who asked it, uh -huh. right? And so when you start creating these boxes like this, it can, it can result, this is what I took away from it, it could result in uh, people not putting forth what actually could be something that needs to be uncovered. Yeah. And, then, and I'm just drawing that as a, as a scenario. And then other times, um, he would shut it down. Mm -hmm. He would do both, right? We're not talking about that. That's, that has nothing to do with this, right? And so it was an impressive way to run that meeting. Right. And, and it was really impactful for me. I think that's such a great point. I feel like you can easily get stuck in, and this happens really in any group, right? So sure. We, we talk of, we hopefully have some young adults listening to this or people new to their career or even in families or in business where you put someone in a box or you put someone in a certain role and then you predetermine that whatever they're going to say is of no value. And it's a, it's a trap because I think it can be a disservice to whatever it is that you're trying to Sure. To get to, right? Right. And what? just because, so one, in, in my current role, one of my colleagues' background is, is marketing. And as we're trying to develop, a, whether go to market strategy for a service or, or something like that, I, I really enjoy having him in the meetings uh, because he asks questions where we make assumptions. Mm, right. Yeah. And, and, and I told him that, like, ask. And ask because if you don't get it, we're not going to resonate with the client. We may, right? It depends if you're talking about somebody that has similar background, experience, and all of that. Right. But if they don't, 
it's not going to get to it. And others would get frustrated. Why is he asking these questions? Like, is it? Right. Right. Well, because because well, first of all, I invited them to do that because we got to we got to that means we got to fix the language. We got to fix right. the way we're positioning this. We got to fix. It's a it's a really good compliment, and and it's something that frankly it took me a while to mature as a leader. Yeah. Into doing that. Or sometimes we'll say, I learned this actually from my husband, where it's like, talk to me like I'm four years old. Oh, yeah. There's just this thing about, like, where you're, it just diffuses any sort of ego in a situation to just so that you fully understand the basics before you can take something to another level and being confident that I can say, talk to me like I'm four years old because it's okay to not know. It is okay to not know. Um, And getting back to probably one of the most difficult parts of the transition was being able to ask the right questions. Yeah. Right? It is, yes, I'm curious what you're saying makes sense, but I'm not thinking of these other three things either, but I didn't know to ask. Yeah. Or I didn't think to ask. Probably. So I've actually gone to putting um, notes in my office to make sure that I understand when we're dealing with this. This has to be a focus, and this has not. Not I don't have stickies all over. But what is, for example, what is the financial impact of this decision? Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Right. So yes, you may have safety issues, and you have, those those things are innate to me, right? Those those are things that I've grown up on. Right. You know what is the cost? What is the margin? What is the you know what what is this worth doing? What what is the net outcome uh, revenue for this? Those types of things. Then calculating that into the risk. Mm-hmm different so that actually I think I was gonna ask later but I'll ask it now because I think you've already said some of them given that you were I mean almost like you were in the Marine Corps and then you were at the FBI and now you're here and you have all these different environments or systems that you've been working in and then you have your own personal growth and development if you were to talk about what you think some of the success factors are like what are there things that you have found that like so you've talked about curiosity you've talked about asking good questions I'm curious if you if you have certain things that you have found to be repeatable for you that help you to be successful and if you could give a window into that If you'd like to advertise with Relatable please email us at info at Yeah, for me, so first and foremost, my wife, <laughs> key, to, key to my success. Oh. So I'm gonna move off that so I don't get emotional. Yeah. My children being very supportive of my career, all things that were both previously, currently, and the likes. As far as my personal, you've gotta maintain a sense of humor. <laughs> you've gotta try to do that. Um, and I'm not saying that there aren't times that I, and, and there's certain things that are just not funny, I'm not suggesting that, but the world can be a challenging place to operate. Right. No matter what your choice in, in life, you're going to be faced with things that are very potentially insurmountable, failures that you have trouble rebounding from. Uh, and if you can't find that sense of humor, you know, you surround yourself with you know family and friends that 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 can help you. Wow, I, I couldn't imagine a more lonely place right. than to do that. Hard work. I mean, that's really. I mean, you, you know, you gotta you gotta put in the work. You know, I've had friends and teammates that uh, growing up that had you know, there's somebody front of mind that I won't name that had should have been all pro, but everything came easy. I wish I could remember the quote, but I'll think of it. And, and it has to do with hard work and talent. Mm-hmm. And it actually came from uh, my oldest son used to get him from one of his coaches, and he forwarded some of that. Yeah, and, it, and it's really impactful. Do you think part of that too is discipline to, I, I'm curious, like the hard work and discipline, the discipline of, it, it's, it can be as simple as I'm getting up every day at six instead of seven, right? There's some like very maybe tactical things, but then a discipline in the way in which you approach things or in the way in which you go after things. Like you talked before, like I'm all in, right? If I'm going to do something, I'm all in. So I'm curious is the hard work and the mission enough to drive the other things, or is there some extra ingredients in there that you're like, because I do these things, and I suspect in the military that the discipline and the right. the, the regiment or the way in which things are structured 
it teaches you some something there that maybe would be helpful to people that don't have that experience or that applies to success. You know, I, I don't know if there's special ingredients in there or not. I mean, I think that you have to be you have to be open to learning. Right. Right. And again, I think it goes back to probably some of the leadership training and the emulating those things that you thought you would be successful and what right. would work for you. Finding out what won't work for you. When uh, you can only, you know, as a friend of mine told me years ago, you can only be who you are. Right? right. You know, but you can adapt and, and change your position. And, and so you have to be open to, to learning. I don't know if there's another special means. I really have to think hard on that. I, you know, I'm not, I've been exceedingly fortunate. I mean, I think timing of that has some things to do. I think you have to treat people in the right way. Right. I think you, um, you mentioned too, like sacrifice and compromise. So I am curious how much of that, and maybe you you mentioned this before that like your family absorbed a lot of that in order for you to be able to do what you wanted to do. Um, so beyond that, like I, I don't know, I, I feel like I think you and I have had this conversation. I know I've had it with your wife, which is like our kids in the situation that they live in and where we are. There's not a lot of conflict or a lot of um, what I would say, at least my kids at this point, where there's like situations where they've had to dig really deep that's going to build a ton of character. I don't know that they've had a ton of stress and dysfunction that they're working through. Can I differ with that? Yeah, yeah, please do. So, and I do differ with this. One, um, I think that our children have a tougher time getting to, to the truth. There's so much information coming at them from so many different angles that we didn't have to deal with. Yeah. That in order to, you know, and as I've had to remind my kids, hey, just because it's on Twitter doesn't make it true. Right. Right? But, yeah. so they're going to have to exist in a society that, that we didn't have to exist in, right? Their uh, ability to fail without notice is so much, true. So yes. much less than what we had to deal with. You know, the consequences for their actions are under so much more of a microscope than what we had to deal with. So I do think that those things are vastly different, right? I mean, and I've had to have the, you know, the, it's not enough that you're in and around or you're not in the picture that's on, you know, Instagram or, or you're not the one with a, you know, a beer can in your hand on Instagram. You're in the picture. Right. Right? These are things that our generation didn't have to deal with. Right. Right? The information flow, the, the, the think about how much less, there's nobody calling on a home phone anymore. Right? You, you know, and the, the knowledge that, you know, uh, that you have as a parent is very limited based on the interactions that the, the kids have today. So I think that's much, that's a different level of stress that, that we haven't had to deal with. Right? You know, so I, and again, going back to, you know, what is the arduousness of their lives, right? Right. That, that's definitely different. I do think that finding something outside of school that is a passion that has that team, and, it, and for for our family right now, it's sports. But it, right. but it, they're, they're, it could be band, it could be a club, it could be some level of competition right. that relies on others, not just yourself. Is is it healthy? And yeah. then you know, uh, especially as a young adult, right? And that. Something else, right? Something more. Um, and so that's because I do think that helps shape. Yes. I mean, I, I think that was the, some of the intent of the question was just around the resilience piece or the ability to know that, you know, you can get through something based on your own experiences, right? Which, I mean, this year, in the last year and a half, I think there's been a lot put forth to everybody at all ages. <laughs> With COVID, on on how are you going to get through this, and and so I think they're getting a taste of it now to some extent, where it's like figuring out other ways and adapting to different ways that to be, I don't know if happy is the right word, but but self reliant or to move that forward. Yeah, I mean, I think about it. I mean, think about it as a kid, you rely mostly on your your parents or other adults to provide you guidance, and, and we don't know. Right. Right? right, and and so how do you when you talk just bring it back to confidence, right? right. You know, when you're a parent, you know you've got to, in some regards, you know reassure your family that things are going to be okay. Right, right. That no matter you know, and so that has to have a level of um, not just confidence but genuineness. 
Right. In order, you know, so you, because kids will have doubts and they'll ask questions, and there's no way you can answer those questions because there's because right, yeah. we don't know. Right. And so, but in order for people to exist, right, and then on that, and you don't know, we don't know as a society. True. That's very true. So I guess the other thing I just remembered why I asked you this question in the first place. Do you feel like inherently you have to sacrifice or compromise in order to be successful? Just in some capacity. I do. I do. I think you have to make sure you have to decide what your prioritizations are. Right. And decide whether or not, you know, how much you want those things and then decide. Right. Um, is, it, is it worth it? Right. And then what's the trade off? What, where is your, what, what are you no longer going to trade away? I, you just made me think of something. I asked this of the CEO of, Consult, of, of Deloitte Consulting, and I'm curious about your answer to this. So when you started at the FBI, and let's just say, based on your earlier comments, that you were all in, and you were like, this is where I'm going to be, this is where my career is going to be. Did you have certain goals along the way of what you wanted to achieve within that construct like did, were you someone that was like in four years i want to be here in six years i want to be here did you have those ideas and and goals as part of your own like career planning or as you navigated your career or were you in roles and well i won't give you the or i'm just curious if you had specific milestones that you wanted to hit and did you potentially work towards them no, I did not have those. He didn't either. And um, I did have them as I got later into my Which career. Which interesting. Nope. There were events that took place where then I, uh, we, Christy and I, were then had to make a decision. So as an example, up until, and I don't remember the year, I think it was 2005, uh, in the FBI, if you became a supervisor, you could be a supervisor until you retired, right? No... And then uh, the director at the time instituted what he, you know, a, a kind of an up or out policy and put a time limit on, on that, uh, which was seven years for anybody becoming one, and I think nine years for somebody who was already on, the, on the uh, as a supervisor. So when I became a supervisor, that was already there, and so I already knew that. So then we had to plan, knowing that, okay, this is when if we're going to continue in a leadership role then we're gonna to have to make another change at a certain time, right? And so, if and we knew that when I started to look at those jobs, is this something we want to do? Because that's gonna result in, in us moving, and so, or, or me being away for an extended period of time. So those are the two choices. If we don't wanna do that, then, then we shouldn't go. We mm -hmm. shouldn't do this because that was there. Um, so that that is an example of, of okay, so we now have made We've made two decisions. One, we're you know, going to try to become a supervisor in Chicago, and we know within a period of time, this is we're going to have to make a move, and this would be the ideal time for us to do that. Right. And so that that's the, an example of when we did that. After that, um, and before that, no. I mean, it was all life decisions, and, and as far as uh, and is it just being in in the work that you're doing, and that good work, then gets noticed and then you get opportunities based on your performance right in the work versus I want to be this level this role and I know I, I've got to do have these certain experiences in order to get there or yeah, of course of course you'd always like to think it's I certainly put in the hard work you know I certainly uh, but I also had support and then there was opportunity and hard work meant opportunity right, right. If, uh, I think you have to have both yeah right and and you don't get to pick when the opportunity is going to present itself. Right. right. And so sometimes that's longer than you want. Sometimes, frankly, that's shorter than you want. And you have to make a decision. You know, is this what you want? If you do, well, then you got to go. If you don't, you know, you, sometimes you just say, okay, that's gone forever. Right. That, right. And, and I know that sometimes seems extreme, but I mean, you, you, that's how I, okay, if you don't want this, then move off. Right. Like that's, Done. Amnesia, right? Like you got to. to. Some extent. You, yeah. you, can, you can't have buyer's remorse or you know those types of things. They'll eat you up. Yeah. Okay. So I just really have two more questions. One, I'm curious, and only because I have personal like knowledge of it. 
one of the things that I talk a lot on here are about soft skills and the importance of soft skills. And I think something I saw you do really well, and I think you could give some tips or at least perspective is on the, the value of network and how you were able to think about that in the perspective of transitioning from the FBI into to your current role now. And, you know, what I thought was so impressive is, you know, you had some sense of when you wanted to leave the FBI. And so it was like, okay, I'm, I've got this date and I'm sort of working backwards from that date. And, and you were, I think, intentional and thoughtful about how you wanted to do that and how to tap into your network. And I think some people think of networking as a dirty word or they think of it as like what we call like instrumental networking, which is like for, for a purpose of either sure. career or something else. And so I'm just curious how you how you think about network or how you've been able to maintain or, or leverage it in a way that has been helpful to you and maybe to others. So I do think the network is important. Um, I think that uh, connecting both in a professional but also in a personal sense. Right. You never know when opportunities are going to present themselves, right? And, and keeping those contacts certainly helps do that. It also helps in, frankly, in a little bit of a cathartic way of shared challenges that are usually, when you boil them down, relatively similar to other people that are dealing with different but same problems, right? You know, um, in leadership roles and, and those types of things. And, and certainly, so that's how I think of it. Uh, much of my network, you know, I'm, I'm friends with, so it makes it relatively easy. Time is what's hard, uh-huh. right? And it's hard to find the time to do that with family and everything else, and it, and it ebbs and flows, candidly. Um, and since I had transitioned, there's, there was a stable of friends that I had talked to regularly that I haven't kept in contact with as much as I would like. They haven't kept in contact with me either, as much as probably, you know, as, as we had historically, um, but life takes over. And it's I think it's those friendships and longer term relationships that allows you to rekindle yeah and, and uh very quickly right um and shared background and those types of things and it allows to also have a professional conversation i had a, a colleague of mine that is in the virginia area that i uh, was talking to about current work stuff and he called me one day and, and said hey don't you do x y and z and i said we do and he said general counsel of this company's calling you great Right? right, so I yeah. didn't get, so I didn't do work with him, but I did do work for somebody else, that, and that work is still going on. Right, it's like I said, you don't know where that. I, I wouldn't have expected that. I wouldn't mm-hmm. have expected him to to do that. But he was trying to help a colleague. Right, we have been in contact. Here it is. Uh, this guy can help you. You know, and that goes to your your reputation. Right. I mean, he wouldn't have called me if if I wasn't going to be up forthright and honest, right? right? Can you deliver on this? Because now I've just staked my reputation right. to your ability to deliver. Right. 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 And and I think that's part of it. And and that that, that can become uneasy um, for both both parties. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, um, for sure. But we've done it. So and it didn't seem though like you shied away from it either though. Like given like did you have when you were thinking about leaving and you're starting to think about what do I want to do next, did you kind of make sure that you made time for yourself each week to, to spend time doing that so that it was helping to, you know, ins- not sure, but have possibilities for you as you were leaving? Or was it not that intentional? There were some intentional connections yeah. uh, that I made. Uh, but again, it's got there's got to be opportunity, right? I mean, there's good... Like not just a random... But there, yeah. Right? And the... And the and and frankly, a friend of mine, um, uh, part of my network now is the reason I'm sitting in the job I am, right? And yeah. he knew of an opening and said, hey, let me check this out and I'll get back to you. And that weekend I was on the phone with my current boss. And, you know, those things. It's powerful, right? It, it, it can yeah. be, right? And At the beginning of the conversation, we talked about your current role. And I, I want to just close by asking you, now that you've been at Allied for a bit, curious you know there's a lot happening I think in the risk space you talked about many dimensions of this at the top of the interview I'm curious what 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 you think some of the biggest exposure is out there right now for, for businesses and organizations and then also you know what 
Do you want people to know about your group, your team, and the services that you provide that can help mitigate or solve some of those issues? That's a lot. Um, and so that, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting uh, dilemma uh, for companies right now because I've, in order to mitigate risk, I think you first have to have a strategy and a plan. Mm-hmm. And everybody but everybody is trying to execute in a tactical environment right now, and it, it doesn't really have the luxury to plan. Many companies, including my own, are going into budgeting process, trying to anticipate what 2021 is going to look like. We have a looming election. We have, you know, for us, Black Friday, then you have the holidays. And, you know, what, what is all this going to mean? Right. Not to mention, throughout all of it is COVID, right. which really throws the whole into a, a kit and caboodle into, in, in sideways. So you got to, at some point, try to have a plan, right? And that's what I, what I tell when I, what, what is your plan to help mitigate risk, whether that's in the virtual space or in the physical space? Uh, whether that's, so what I mean is cyber, um, and cyber is such a broad term today, you know, are you dealing with an infrared camera that, you know, that is, you know, connected wirelessly and do you know that that's a you know an ingest point for somebody who's looking to get into your into your network do you know all right uh, how are you dealing with the you know protests that are, are right now and did you think about that are you going how is that disrupting your business you know you have a remote workforce which which enables cyber actors to have more access points to your network but how are you keeping your your, your employees safe are you going to bring them back to work okay what does that look like how are you going to do that how are you going to bring them in safely do you have a plan for that not to mention what we actually, the core of what we do, which is the security consulting, that physical space and the in cyberspace. When you have an investigation, are you, you know, what, are you bringing that in-house? How do the employees look at that? What are they not? Mergers and acquisitions. How are people hiding assets or, or debt, more importantly, right, in, in, in those spaces? High-risk termination, you know, what, are you, are you going to hire police officers? What does that do to your workforce? Are you irresponsible if you don't? And we had a, you know, an incident with a company several months ago who didn't want to spend the money on bringing in that. They ended up with an active shooter. And we had a, another company who did spend the money and guy got caught in the parking lot, um, who was coming to be an act, you know, loaded to bear, um, you know. And then now with everybody's budgets and the under scrutiny, how do you expend those resources? What's the cost of not doing something? Right. right, and then you what's yeah. and, and just going to be in the reactionary mode. There's an element to that, right? And I certainly understand that. But you know, what's our plan? Yeah. And how do we help do that? A conversation doesn't cost anything, but it does provide you know thought. Are, are we going to do that? So that's how I think about it. Okay. I think the, the there are many many threats to business that are incoming. You know both on the business operations fiscal side and then on the security side. Right. And, and I, I think it's very hard to dis, you know, untangle those mm-hmm. things sometimes. And the overhead expenses could look like just like that, an overhead expense. But the conversation is is free. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Well, well, yeah. People can find you, right, on their website. Yep, I yeah. mean, lots and lots, lots of places. Of different ways. All right, very last quick question, uh, which you've talked, I think, a little bit about already, but... If you were going to, given all your experiences and everything you've been through, and you're looking back at young Josh, is there any advice that you would give him or anything that would help him navigate or manage life a little bit easier, a little bit lighter? Of course, there's always hindsight is 2020, but your, you know, yeah. your experiences are what make you, right? Okay. Good and bad. Right. Patience isn't my strongest virtue. Uh, it, but it is way better now than it was years ago. So having a bit more patience and, and thoughtfulness is, is probably something that I would have looked to openness earlier in my leadership career. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? That's, uh, I guess that's probably the most, right? Understanding other points of view better and incorporating them, frankly, mm-hmm. would, would have probably helped me much more. It's funny because Justin, Justin talked about how you, I think, helped him to be more patient. So, so the fact that you've been through all these experiences and then you can be that voice that's like, it's hard. I think it's hard for people to be patient regardless of like when you want something and you want an expected outcome and you put in the work. And so 
that knee-jerk reaction to these ones for sure. Absolutely, it's yeah. not. It's not the, the patient's gene. It's is, is not a, a good gene to pass down to my children. So well, thank you so much. Thank for you. Your time. I really appreciate it. I enjoyed it. It was fun. Thank you, Josh School. We appreciate your time, candor, and openness. I love what you said about listening and being open to others' ideas, and then actually being open to implementing and using them. <laughs> and of course, your insight on working hard, being a good human, and staying curious. Thank you for all of your service and for having a career that is focused on keeping us all safe. As always, thank you to my awesome producer, Missy. As a reminder, if you like Relatable, please subscribe, leave comments, and rate Relatable. We can be found on most streaming platforms. Relatable is sponsored by Teresa Freeman Associates. You can follow us on Twitter and the TFA Facebook page. Until next time, this is Teresa Freeman with Relatable.